Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.22 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 13th of October, 2022. This is episode 630 of Bitcoin and... I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. That's right. That's because inflation coming in hot. We had an 8.2% uh, print on the CPI. It was expected to come in at 8.1. We'll get into that and more. But first, hey, let's, let's check in. Let's just go check in on AOC and see how she's doing. Hey, how you doing, little guy? Congresswoman, none of this matters unless there's a nuclear war, which you voted to send arms and weapons to Ukraine. Tulsi Gabbard, she's left the Democratic Party because there are fucking war hawks, okay? You originally voted, you ran as an outsider, yet you've been voting to start this war in Ukraine. You're voting to start a third nuclear war with Russia and China. Why are you playing with the lives of American citizens? You're playing with our lives. There will be no neighbors if there's a nuclear bomb. You voted to mobilize and send money to Ukrainian Nazis. You're a coward. You're a progressive socialist. Where are you against the war mobilization? He's telling the right truth. You have done nothing. Tulsi Gabbard has shown guts where you've shown cowardice. I believed in you, and you became the very thing you sought to fight against. That's what you've become. You are the establishment, and you are the reason why everybody will end up in a nuclear war unless you choose to stand up right now and denounce the Democratic Party. Will you do that? Yes or no? Okay, simple. Are you going to stop nuclear war? Yes or no? There is no line because this is bullshit. None of this matters if we're all dead. None of it. You know that. Then let's take it up right now because this is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that matters right now. We could be in a nuclear war at any minute and you continue to fund it. That's what's going on. Why not right now? You're the liar here. Nobody has held you accountable. That's what's happening. And it is time for you to stand up and realize that what you've been saying has been lies. Let your conscience come through for once. Jeez Louise, it sounds to me like AOC got herself in a little bit of a bind. That was AOC, a Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez, or occasionally cognizant, or whatever you want to call her. Yeah, she was at a town hall and just got ripped up. But what a lot of, and, and I've seen this, this clip going around, but what I haven't really seen anybody mention is 
just how empty that whole auditorium was when this shit started up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that thing was like barely attended. It w- there was almost nobody there. Nobody wants to go see these people. Whatever it is that the news is telling you about how popular these people are, A, they're not. B, the only people they could possibly be popular with are lambasting their ass in public. And, and here was the big thing, and, and you, might, you may not have caught this, because the recordings, the way that the recordings were made, it seems to me was on a, like a, on a phone that somebody in the audience was carrying with them, and they were way back in, in the back of the auditorium, so you can't really hear AOC talking. But when that gentleman says, one of those gentlemen says, uh, you know, yes or no, are you going to stop the war or whatever it was that they were, you know, however it is that he was framing it. He just wanted a simple yes or no answer. And then she started going off onto some bullshit. And he's like, no, you need to tell me yes or no. Why can't we have that discussion? And her reply is because you're being rude. Are are you serious? Really? You know, there's a couple of things about this entire scenario that's, that's you know, worth noting. And, and I'll get to the other one here in a second. First, the auditorium is almost empty. And she's getting lambasted by what's left of her constituency. <clears throat> and then she says, in reply to a guy that is clearly scared out of his mind, you're being rude as to why she's not answering a simple yes or no question on whether or not she's going to instigate us in possible potential thermonuclear annihilation. But here's the third point. And I think this is the most important point that we can make. I remember, I remember the Cold War. I I really do. I was alive and I was old enough to be cognizant of the threat of global thermonuclear annihilation. Now, we were scared. We, we, I grew up in an environment of fear, learned how to deal with it. But it was, it was just kind of permeating in the 70s that at any given time, the Ruskies are going to throw their nuclear weapons at us and we're going to throw ours at them and it's going to be global thermonuclear winter. And if any of us survive, the, the first salvo will certainly be killed by the calamity to come. All right, that's where these kids and I, I call them kids. I think they're, they're adults. I mean, they're, but they're in college. Okay. They're in college. See, these aren't like, you know, they're like sophomores at juniors in college at best. Right. <clears throat> and they're scared out of their ever loving mind. And I'm going to tell you what my father and my mother told me is that no, that shit's not going to happen. It could, it really could. But there's a couple of things about that. Can you stop it? No, you can't. So you need to live as if it's not going to happen. But in the bottom, at the bottom top and side to side of my heart, I don't think that's going to happen. Because ultimately, the people that would be throwing those nuclear bombs knew now, know now what we knew back then in the 60s and 70s. They don't want to die either. And, and if, and sure, they got a bunker. I can hear you yelling at me. Yeah, they got a bunker stocked with, you know, mounds of cocaine and strippers and beer and alcohol and swimming pools and luxury accommodations so far underground that they won't even feel the vibrations when the nuclear blasts come. 
what are they going to walk out into? A wasteland. Nobody wants to live in a wasteland. I don't care how evil and sinister you are. If you are an actual human being, you don't want to walk out into a wasteland because before the earth repairs itself, several generations of human beings will have come and gone. Nobody wants to walk out into that shit. All right. These guys are scared out of their fucking mind. She's calling them rude because she because they want a straight answer. And the auditorium is empty. Not calling Peak Clown World, but dude, this is we're so close to Peak Clown World. It's just not even funny. But we do have other fish to fry. And I want to start with this thread from Darren Feinstein. The Bitcoin network compared to Visa. Facts. The Bitcoin network finally settles or final settles at four to seven transactions per second. Visa settles zero transactions per per second. Zero. The confusion. Here it is. Visa can approve 1,700 transactions per second. Approvals are not settled transactions. Visa's final settlement can take months. Months after each Bitcoin network block is audited, settled, and written to an immutable blockchain, Visa still struggles to settle the transactions on their network. Those transactions were only approved, but not paid, and require teams of people to complete. One, Visa approves a transaction on a Friday. Two, the money gets deposited into the merchant's account on Monday or Tuesday, which is like five days. Three, The customer gets invoice or bill 30 days later. Four, customers can contest charges for up to 60 days. Five, if customer contests charge, uh, Visa can auto debit the merchant's account and take the money back out. Transaction rescission. Six, in order to get all this done during the 60 day period, Visa needs 20,000 employees on every continent on the planet. They need lawyers, lobbyists, a CEO, and others. Each Bitcoin is final, settled, and audited in 10 minutes. Bitcoin transactions have no credit risk, no counterparty risk, no human error, no CEO, no lawyers. Visa has 60 days of problems. You cannot compare an approval from Visa to a final, settled Bitcoin transaction. No, you can't. Darren Feinstein nailed it down completely. All those people that are thinking that Visa has this final settlement within seconds have been fooling themselves for years. That has never occurred, right? And it gets even, think about it this way, it was even worse before credit card reading machines were attached to the internet or some kind of communication system, right? Back in days of yore, you put your credit, the reason that you have rate that your credit card may still have raised numbers on it is because that thing was put into a, what's called a card cruncher. You put the card into it and then you put the bill on top of that. And that was like all handwritten. <clears throat> and then they would crunch the paper bill over the numbers and like this uh, pressure sensitive or carbon paper or whatever would print the numbers and impress them into the paper. And then they would take the paper out, give it to you. Then you'd sign it. Then they had to mail it. And then you add 60 days to all that shit. Right? Think about that, dude. You're talking about like adding another 15 days in some cases. 
So yeah, <clears throat> remind the people that are telling you about they don't need Bitcoin because they have Visa. A, whatever Visa is doing is not what they think they're doing. Please explain it to them. And B, you saw Kanye West <laughs> get his uh, uh, accounts from Bank of America, was it? Or JP Morgan Chase, yeah. Uh, yeah, he got canceled yesterday. Probably, it probably happened a couple of days before that, but we all heard about it yesterday. And if you haven't heard about it, uh, they canceled all his accounts, all his business accounts. You're talking about a billion dollar guy. And JP Morgan said, nope, we don't like what you're saying on Twitter and canceled his accounts. That's why Bitcoin. It's not because you need fast transactions. It's because JP Morgan Chase just canceled one of the most famous people on the planet for what he said. Let that sink in. Now, continuing with politics, Elizabeth Warren calls Texas deregulated safe harbor for Bitcoin miners. I don't think that's what, I if you take that as a good sign, I, I doubt it. Let's find out more. Andrew Asmakov, Decrypt.co. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren and a group of six other U.S. lawmakers have requested information on the energy usage and potential environmental impact of Bitcoin mining operations in the state of Texas. Right here. This is where Texas needs to tell Elizabeth Warren to go blow. In a letter to Pablo Vega, CEO of the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, also known as ERCOT, the senators called Texas a deregulated safe harbor for crypto mining firms, adding that the state's cheap power and laissez-faire regulation are raising concerns about the potential for mining operations to add to the stress on the state's power grid. One specific piece of information the senators requested relates to how much electricity crypto mining operators in Texas have consumed and how much carbon dioxide emissions they've released over the last five years. Why are you picking on Texas, Elizabeth? The lawmakers also want to know how much Texas regulators are paying Bitcoin mining companies in subsidies to turn down energy consumption during peak periods of demand. Quote, in simple terms, the Bitcoin miners make money from mining that produces major strains on an electric grid. And during peak demand, when the profitability of continuing to mine decreases, they then collect subsidies in the form of demand response payments when they shut off their mining operations and do nothing. In quote, among the companies running a Bitcoin mining business in Texas, the letter cites Riot, uh, Riot Blockchain, the operator of a 750 megawatt facility in Rockdale, which in July this year announced it made around $9.5 million by shutting down operations and selling electricity back to the grid. The senator noted that this was more than the $5.6 million the company made from actually selling Bitcoin that month. Yes, because they don't want to sell their Bitcoin. They had to sell their Bitcoin. Elizabeth, if you don't get this straight, this meteor is going to run over your ass. The letter further estimates that Texas is responsible for about a quarter of all U.S.-based Bitcoin mining operations and 9% of the crypto mining compute power worldwide. Quote, a share that is expected to reach 20% by the end of next year, end quote. Around 30 crypto mining companies have come to Texas over the past decade, encouraged by vast amounts of open land, easy access to affordable power, and low state taxes, according to a recent report by the Texas Tribune. The increased demand <clears throat> raised fears that the state's already fragile electricity grid, which crashed during, ex crashed during extreme winter storms in February 2021, could cripple it further. 
Quote, crypto mining is adding significant demand to an already unreliable grid, posing enormous challenges to the transmission and distribution system and contributing to the global climate crisis, the lawmakers wrote in their little letter. This is not the first time Elizabeth Warren, a staunch critic of cryptocurrencies, was or has spearheaded attacks on the industry, including Bitcoin mining activities. And then they go back to her past antics, but we we don't need to read that. So the question really is, you know, why why are they why are they focusing in on Texas? Wyoming has Bitcoin mining. No, is it just is it because she's really concerned about the Texas electricity grid? No. She doesn't give one rat's ass about the entire state of Texas, which is exactly why that the governor, Abbott, and honestly, just ERCOT themselves. And I don't like ERCOT, but ERCOT really needs to kind of link hands with the governor and, you know, and just look at Elizabeth and say, you know what? Go screw, go pound sand. You go figure it out. We owe you nothing. You're not getting shit from us. Go pound sand. I think states are getting very close to this mindset where they're just fucking tired of listening to these hound dogs moaning and bitching and wailing in Washington, D.C. and haven't set a foot in any of their states ever. But all of a sudden, they're just really concerned. Oh, bull. They don't care about you. They hate you and they want you to die. I, I... I don't know how else to put it. You know, we, I see people still defending the system, still making the case for AOC and Elizabeth Warren's actions, where honestly, the whole bunch of them, we just stop trusting them. And for God's sake, stop defending them because they are not defending you. They're also not defending Bitcoin, which has tumbled to $18,100 following hot, Hot U.S. inflation report. Uh, Sean Amick tells us more from Bitcoin Magazine. U.S. inflation for the month of September was up 8.2% year over year, which exceeded market expectations of only 8.1% per the Consumer Price Index report. Bitcoin fell close to $18,000 following the data release. While the latest CPI report shows the fourth month of declining inflation, it is still notable that CPI continues to exceed market expectations. Thus, continued rate hikes could come from the Federal Reserve, which tend to drive investments like risk assets and Bitcoin to lower prices. The highest levels of inflation continue to be reported in the energy sector. For instance, fuel saw a 58.1% year-over-year jump and utility pipe services hit 33.1%. Energy commodities were also up 19.7% while energy services saw a 19.8% increase. However, core CPI, which is CPI minus, you know, food and energy, hit 6.6% year-over-year, a new 40-year high. Wages have also seen consistent declines over the past 18-month period, which shows a con- uh, continues to show an economy in struggle. From a month-over-month perspective, utility pipe services rose 2.9%, with the largest decrease being fuel and oil at 2.9%, as inflation continues to decrease in certain sectors and wages seem to have no positive change. Bitcoin's price could possibly see lower prices as rate hikes take hold and borrowing becomes more difficult. 
Continued tightening of monetary policy is making change. However, the changes arguably are not as drastic as the Federal Reserve needs in order to curb the problem of broader economic constraints. Amid the current economic climate, Bitcoin could continue to experience further downtrends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's the CPI stuff coming in and we all know that the CPI doesn't really reflect actual inflation. You're still looking at double digit inflation in the United States, okay? So, you know, may, maybe one of these days they'll figure out how they can pull some more shit out of the CPI so that it doesn't look as bad as it did today. But that is why Bitcoin tumbled. However, not for very long. We'll get to that when we do numbers. Coin Center sues Treasury over tornado cash band. Yes, I understand. This is about Ethereum developers and tornado cash. But this particular tornado cash thing should have you worried because it's a violation, in the, at least in the United States, it is a violation of my First Amendment rights to not allow me to write code. I'm sorry, but it is. That's, that's the way it is, right? So now, Sander Lutz. Decrypt.co, crypto policy nonprofit coin center filed a federal lawsuit against the United States Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control on Wednesday, claiming the government agency unlawfully overreached its authority when it criminalized interaction with Ethereum coin mixing tool Tornado Cash in August. With Wednesday's lawsuit, Coin Center made a good made good on a promise uh, made in the days following the unilateral ban of the crypto privacy tool and numerous wallet addresses associated with it that the organization would likely challenge the tornado cash ban in court. OFAC justified the ban at the time by arguing that Tornado Cash, which obfuscates the trails of typically public Ethereum transactions by mixing many transactions together and thus rendering them untraceable, had been used to launder money by bad actors, including, of course, North Korean state-sponsored hacking organization The Lazarus Group. Many in crypto immediately fired back, saying that the, that adding the tool to a list typically reserved for terrorist organizations and enemy nations, the United States government had indeed declared war against crypto's oldest, holiest tenant, user privacy. Coin Center's leadership views today's lawsuit as critical to crypto users' rights to privacy as well as to crypto's very survival. Quote, not only are we fighting for privacy rights. But if this precedent is allowed to stand, OFAC could add entire protocols like Bitcoin or Ethereum to the sanctions list in the future, thus immediately banning them without any public process whatsoever. This can't go unchallenged, Coin Center Executive Director Jerry Brito tweeted this morning. The lawsuit filed today in the United States District Court, Northern District of Florida, joins another similar federal lawsuit filed last month against the U.S. Treasury by crypto exchange Coinbase. That suit argued predominantly that OFAC overstepped the law by banning a piece of open source software unaffiliated with any company. Tornado Cash is a permissionless decentralized tool that operates without the oversight of a parent organization. <clears throat> While Coin Center's lawsuit touches on that argument, it also advances the specific claim that OFAC's regulatory mandate granted by the International Emergency Economic Powers Act only permits the agency to the power to block Americans from transacting with a foreign person or major foreign entity. Quote, 
when we or our co-plaintiffs use the Tornado Cash tools, we do so as normal privacy-seeking Americans, Brito and Coin Center Research Director Peter Van Valkenburg said in a statement today, quote, we do not engage in any transaction with any foreign person or entity or their property. Instead, we are using immutable and widely available software on the Ethereum blockchain to move our own valuables from one place in cyberspace that is fully under our control to another place that we also control, he said. The fact that OFAC de designated Ethereum transactions running through Tornado Cash as foreign clashes with the perspective re recently put forward by another executive branch agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission, Last month, the SEC claimed in a federal lawsuit that all Ethereum transactions globally should be considered under American jurisdiction because the plurality of Ethereum's decentralized node validators are based in the United States. While OFAC and the SEC are not bound to holding the same views on all matters, the contrast between their views on Ethereum status as a foreign or domestic entity could become a key flashpoint in the United States government's escalating mission to bring crypto under its purview. Coin Center's suit seeks to fully overturn the tornado cash ban and restore Americans' right to use the tool. Quote, privacy is normal, Brito and Van Valkenburg said today. And when we win our lawsuit, using tornado cash will be normal again. Okay, so say what you want about tornado cash. I get it. I really do. But honestly, man, yeah, there, there are very few places where we're kind of fighting on the same side with the shitcoiners. If I got to pick one, this is the one that I'm going to pick. I know. Throw rotten vegetables at me. Boo, boo. You can't, you know, what they never said, if you don't know, what they never said is that the guy, one of the developers of Tornado Cash is in jail. And they're not going to let him out of jail. He was denied bail. And I can't remember where he's in jail at. I'm pretty sure it's a, uh, a European country. But he's, he's cooling his heels, bro, for writing a piece of code that was in part of the code of Tornado Cash. So he's a criminal? He can't write code? Am I, are you going to allow me to do math 10 years from now? If I subtract 12 from 16 and come up with a fucking answer, am I gonna be arrested for that shit? Because that's kind of what writing code is, it's writing logic. Can't let it happen. If I gotta pick a hill to die on, that puts me close to the fire of the shitcoin arena, then this one is it. I'm sorry, but that's just the way I feel. Shall we move on? I think we shall. As the UK questions its financial future, Britain's Bitcoin Island takes Satoshi's Bitcoin magazine uh, from Bitcoms is writing this one. The, Brit the British Backdrop. Just days after the anachronistic spectacle of the Queen's funeral, a bizarre echo of Britain's long-lost imperial might, the pound sterling fell to an all-time dollar low. A few years before Elizabeth II was crowned, a pound was worth more than $4 US. Shortly after she was buried, a quid barely bought a buck. Add in the steepest rise in guilt yields in living memory and the double-digit inflation higher than any other developed nation, and Britain's current financial predicament looks worse than even the 2008 financial crisis. Back then, the chancellor may have been on the brink, but at least he could still buy himself a pint of beer for less than a pound. Already well over four pounds on average UK-wide, the price of that pint looks set to climb a lot further. 
With the Bank of England already returning to easing, inflation may well get worse before it gets any better. For U.S. Brits, even drowning our sorrows is becoming ever more unaffordable. Across the world, when a local currency keeps on losing its value, people are turning to Bitcoin. Ordinary inflation-ravaged citizens from Istanbul to Buenos Aires increasingly use it to preserve purchasing power and transact with one another. Is something familiar about to happen in a G7 economy? On the face of it, this doesn't look imminent in the UK. From misleading reports of destructive energy used to intrinsic lack of worth to conflation with the cryptocurrency casino, most Britons happily drink the mainstream media's anti-Bitcoin Kool-Aid. As a result, Brits are generally distrustful of Bitcoin, not just as an asset, but more especially as money. Quote, how can it be money if it's not legal tender? What's the use of money no one accepts? And so on and so forth. Unsurprisingly then, few merchants across the country display the orange bee. In my home city of nearly 3 million inhabitants, I know of only one solitary bar where you can buy beer with Bitcoin. So much for seeking solace with your Satoshis. Great Britain is a long way from mass adoption of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange. Enter Bitcoin's, or sorry, Britain's Bitcoin island. But there is a little bit of Britain bucking the wider trend. The Isle of Man, home of the Manx, where a significant number of businesses already accept payments in sats. But how many and why? The day after the Queen's funeral, I went there with my old pal Bitcoin Shire to find out and to see if we could survive for a few days on nothing but Bitcoin. The basics. The island's first hotel to accept Satoshis is the comfortable Ellen Vinen, oh, Vannon, where they serve first-class Manx kippers for breakfast and where we were the first ever Bitcoin-paying guests. They only recently started accepting Bitcoin, having noticed more and more orange stickers popping up in local shop windows. Their motivation seems twofold, a belief in Bitcoin as the future, as well as the possibility of extra businesses or extra business from Bitcoin tourists like us. As Bitcoin Shire had forgotten to bring a toothbrush, we took a walk up the hill to Carson's. As far as we could gather from one of the friendly pharmacists, the owner's interest in Bitcoin was why he had started accepting it a few weeks previously. Eager to be helpful, she also suggested we spend a few more sats on flu jabs. We politely declined. Dropping back into town, we grabbed some food at Street Kitchen, a lunchtime eatery with a good selection of pan-Asian dishes. Being British, we washed that down with a cup of tea at Froth, a nearby coffee shop. Having been accepting Bitcoin for a couple of months, Froth now sees a small but steady stream of sats paying customers most weeks. So far, so good. Using only Bitcoin, we'd secured good shelter, we'd been well fed and watered, and even kept ourselves clean. It was now time to turn our attention to higher things. Once they've sorted out the basic needs of life, the thing we British traditionally want next is a car. So we walked out to Rex Motors, where after a few months, Bitcoin seemed well embedded. They even have dual pricing on their website. They told us they'd already sold quite a few motors to locals who had chosen Rex just because they accept Bitcoin. We particularly liked the look of their British prestige marquees, but unfortunately a Jaguar or Bentley was just slightly beyond our planned budget for the trip. <clears throat> Spitting feathers after the walk back, we repaired to the Thirsty Pigeon, a traditional British boozer where cordial barmaids pull perfect pints of cast condition best bitter. Traditionally, except for the fact that they take Bitcoin, of course. 
Only a few yards away, Bottle Monkey has a more progressive selection of beers for consumption and on, oh, sorry, for consumption on and off the premises. Their reasons for accepting Bitcoin remain unknown because Chief Monkey wasn't around, but the genial Squirrel Monkey was on hand to sell us some excellent New England IPAs and stouts for Satoshis. At dinner time, we didn't only receive a warm welcome from the co-owner of pizza and pasta joint Monopoly, we got a wide-ranging discussion about Bitcoin and the future of money. They are keeping the Bitcoin they take rather than converting it into pounds, as are the next day's breakfast smoothie venue freshly squeezed, where they've been accepting sats for six months. And a fair few Bitcoiners come in most days. This hodling approach is smart strategy, a passive fee-saving and low-hassle cousin of dollar-cost averaging for businesses. Everywhere we went and whichever payment solution we used, the Lightning Network was always rock-solid reliable. Every transaction worked first time without a hitch and near instantly, at least as quick and as user-friendly as the common tap-and-pay traditional finance methods we Brits tend to use when paying with fiat. After a takeaway lunch from timeout, it was clear that being a Bitcoin-only tourist on the British Isle is pretty much a piece of cake. Little wonder. With many dozens of merchants already accepting sats and a population of only 86,000 people, the island is far more hospitable to Bitcoiners than the mainland, but why? Some Brits presume the Isle of Man's tax regime, which is more generous than in most of Britain, makes accepting Bitcoin easier or more attractive. But this doesn't really stand up to scrutiny. For example, merchants on the island still need to charge an account for value-added tax on transactions just as they do on the British mainland. Others think it must be down to a local government scheme, but it isn't. While the Manx authorities are generally positive towards technology and innovation, and may well see Bitcoin as part of that, there is no specific initiative in place. Others suggest it has something to do with lax or local banking rules, which must be more amenable towards Bitcoin businesses, but this doesn't hold any water either. While most merchants we spoke with use local Bitcoin exchange Coin Corner and its innovative bolt tap and pay lightning card, this doesn't seem to be materially different from merchants on the mainland using the same Coin Corner services. Based on our conversations, the biggest driver to Bitcoin adoption has been the open-minded entrepreneurial spirit of Manx merchants and their willingness to shape their own financial future. A decent concentration of local Bitcoiners might be helping. Additionally, the sustained enthusiasm and hard work of the Coin Corner team in educating and onboarding local merchants has clearly played an important role. But the result is now a grassroots, bottom-up Bitcoin community bootstrapped from nothing. As such, what the Manx are building here looks authentic and durable. Sure, it's early days, and there are some gaps, an orange bee in the grocer's window or on the side of a bus would be a welcome addition. But the fact remains, Bitcoin is now firmly established as a functioning medium of exchange in a vibrant part of the world's sixth largest economy. The Manx Bitcoin community may be small, but the island is already one of the leading locations in Europe to transact with your Satoshis, and there's no legal or practical impediment to similar levels of penetration on the British mainland. In fact, Bitcoin businesses like Coin Corner and organizations like Bridge to Bitcoin are already working towards just that, putting in the hard yards on the ground to build mainland merchant adoption. Just as on the Isle of Man, there is the same compelling case for merchants across the United Kingdom. 
the possibility of extra Bitcoin or business, lower transaction fees compared with TradFi payment cards, and instant final settlement, not days or weeks later as with most TradFi providers. But it isn't only merchants who stand to benefit from adopting Bitcoin. With the value of sterling falling faster than ever in the past half century, every Bitcoin or every Briton should consider the merits of using hard money, which inflation can't steal. When the Queen's portrait first appeared on dis decimalized sterling banknotes in the early 1970s, a pint of beer cost 13 pence. By January 2016, when Lightning Labs was founded to develop Bitcoin's instant payment network, a pint had gone up to £3.48 sterling, or about one hundredth of a Bitcoin. Jeez, my God. Just six years of mostly so-called low inflation later, that pint is already a fifth more expensive in pounds, but 50 times cheaper in Satoshi's. There are no guarantees, but looking at Sterling's woeful past and present performance, the pound in your pocket looks pretty much like a bad bet. Over time, banking on Bitcoin, at least to some extent, is a much more promising proposition for both British merchants and their customers. Introducing Bitcoin for day-to-day -day transactions will work wonders for such a transaction. The Isle of Man is already showing the rest of Britain the path to such a financial future. Can British mainlanders also move with the times or will they stay stuck in a monetary past? I don't know the answer to that, ladies and gentlemen, but it is time to run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities. We've got West Texas Intermediate up almost two full points to $88.98. Brent North Sea up almost two points to $94.24 a barrel. Natural gas is up over, well over two points. 2.67% of the upside puts it at $6.60 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline also 2.5% to the upside, $2.69 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks are mixed, however. Uh, gold is down a full third of a point to $1,672.40. Silver likewise down a half point to $18.83. Platinum, however, is up a point and a half. Copper is up a half point. Palladium is down three quarters of a point. Agricultural futures as well, mixed. Biggest winner today, wheat. 1.84% to the upside. Biggest loser is, no, I was wrong. It was chocolate, just flipped. 2.67% to the upside. Biggest loser remains coffee, 3.93% to the downside. And you, you would think it'd be different, but it's not. Dow is up two and a third points. S&P is up almost two points. NASDAQ up 1.25. S&P Mini up 1.63. And you know what else is up? You know how I read that story about Bitcoin hitting 18,000? You know, because of hot inflation numbers? Yeah, it gained all of that back since this morning's print. $18,998.89 after 1.73 million BTC changed hands. Uh, that is, that came in with an average transaction value of 6.5 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.023 BTC or 438 bucks. 
Block times are finally high. Thank God. 11 minutes and 37 seconds. Does that mean minor capitulation or difficulty adjustment? Probably more around minor capitulation. You know, they're turning off their machines because they saw, probably they saw that Bitcoin print, which uh, reacted after the CPI print. Who knows what's going on? I'm sure it'll bounce back. Um, Let's see, we've had an 11.5% drop in hash rate. We're back down to 242 exahashes per second. Uh, Shitcoin indicator, as usual, is Doge. 5.9 United States pennies. So, yeah, well, you know what the rest of the shitcoins are doing. There are 10,287 transactions waiting on 10 blocks to clear. A $366.3 billion market cap represents 3.33% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 11.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,100. 77,867.17 of and 4,980.34 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $95.2 million being run over 17,215 nodes sporting 84,212 payment channels and Tor percentage of the, the, the percentage of nodes that are Tor enable running Lightning has dropped again. We are now to 68.7% of Tor running the Lightning Network. That is going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin to become a trusted means of exchange in the European Union. This is out of Bitcoin Amsterdam 2022, written by Ezra Reguera and printed in Cointelegraph. With inflation becoming a bigger problem as time goes on, Bitcoin may become a better and more trusted means of exchange in Europe, according to politician Nigel Farage. At the Bitcoin Amsterdam 2022, Cointelegraph reporter Gareth Jenkinson spoke with Nigel, the former head of the pro-Brexit United Kingdom Independence Party, and discussed how the politician first heard about Bitcoin, the appeal of the cryptocurrency as a hedge against inflation, and how it may be adopted broadly in Europe in the near future. According to Nigel Farage, he first discovered Bitcoin 10 years ago when he worked within the financial markets industry and before he got involved with politics. Quote, I always got a very close ear to the ground in terms of financial development. So I heard about it very, very early, he said. The former member of the European Parliament highlighted that back then he wasn't sure about Bitcoin and did not fall in love at first sight with the new monetary concept. However, as years went on, the politician had a change of heart as inflation started to become more severe. He explained that, quote, the disease of money Inflation is now back in the system, which I remember from being a younger person, this history of inflation is, is once it sets in, it's there for longer than anyone can imagine, end quote. By then, the politician probed further into Bitcoin's tech and inherent features eventually. Farage realized that Bitcoin's appeal is linked to its fixed supply, quote. So the appeal of Bitcoin was rather like the gold standard appeal. There is a set number. It can't be inflated away, he noted. Apart from his discovery of Bitcoin and its features, Farage also gave his opinions on how the future may play out in terms of Bitcoin adoption in Europe. According to Farage, events in the United States are also influenced by the things that happen in Europe. 
And he explained that, quote, what happens in America first happens here too. There's going to be a very, very big change here over the next two or three years, and Bitcoin will become a trusted means of exchange, end quote. In addition, the politician compared Bitcoin to banking transactions, which he described as inefficient, costly, and very, very slow. Because of this, Farage believes that Bitcoin has become more attractive compared to this existing in infrastructure. I had no idea that Nigel Farage was a Bitcoiner. I'm, of course, and again, I don't know if he's a Bitcoiner. I would assume if he's like been looking at it for 10 years and found out about it by now, Nigel's gotta be holding, he's gotta be holding the bag. I, I'm just saying. So, but it's really interesting. I had no idea that he was, and you know who else I didn't know was a Bitcoiner? John Lennon's son. Apparently he's a great big Bitcoiner. I didn't know that. I don't know what the Bank of China's doing either. But apparently the digital yuan transaction volume has just crossed the $14 billion mark. David Atlee, Cointelegraph. China's central bank digital currency, or this dreaded CBDC, has reached the mark of close to $14 billion or 100 billion yuan of made transactions during its pilot phase. It makes digital yuan, the ECNY, the most widely adopted CBDC in the world. Well, of course, as the Bank of China reported in the post on its official WeChat page on October the 10th, by the end of the summer, the number of transactions made in 15 provinces within the CBDC pilot framework had reached 360 million. More than 5.6 million merchant stores already accept the digital yuan as a legal tender, according to the Post. The pilot is expanding among some state institutions as well, covering a wide range of citizen payments. Quote, multiple e-government service platforms have opened digital renminbi payment services, supporting online and offline channels to handle various public utility payments, using digital renminbi to issue tax rebate funds, special funds for monthly medical insurance payment, funds for helping people in need, and specialized special and new enterprise support funds, etc., etc., end quote. The financial regulator shared its plans for the project development, which includes launching the cross-border payments between Hong Kong and mainland China, actively exploring the multilateral cross-border option in collaboration with the Bank for International Settlement and following the principle of anonymity for small amounts and traceability for large amounts to protect the user's personal data. They don't care. With its first CBDC trials launched in April of 2020, China's central bank has been aiming to eventually replace cash with the digital yuan. In September of 2022, it shared plans to expand the deployment of the ECNY to four of the country's provinces, including Guangdong, Earlier, the pilot ran only in separate cities. Interestingly enough, the Bank of China reported about $13 billion worth of transactions by January 2022. With a fresh update, it could mean that in the last seven months, the overall amount of new transactions didn't exceed $1 billion. But who knows really what's going on in China? Uh, you know, it's not exactly like they're really an open society, so we don't really know. But this is, you know, they're going to push this shit. It's not, they're not going to stop. They're going to continue forcing the CBDC down all their people's throat. And you know what? I, I've just given up hope that any Chinese citizen is going to be able to sack up enough to be able to fight this shit. Because they've allowed, through their apathy and through their need for protection into the future, their government to continuously walk all up and down their ass. I don't think they've got any fight left in them.
It, you know, you got the most populated nation on the planet and even they can't stand up. I hope that's not the, I hope that's not the way for the West, for Africa, for Latin America. Okay. Cause if we, if, if those fall completely like China's fallen, yeah, you forget about it, dude. It, we can't let that happen. We won't let that happen. We are going to win. Now, these people are not going to win. A couple sent $10.5 million by Crypto.com claim they thought they won a prize. Brian Cornby, Cointelegraph. The Melbourne couple who mistakenly sent, who was mistakenly sent almost $6.6 million or million Australian dollars on crypto.com in 2021 is arguing in court that they thought the funds were won via, via a competition. I can't pronounce these names, but they are currently facing a trial in the Victoria Supreme Court over theft charges, among others, after the duo allegedly went on a spending spree with crypto.com's funds last year. Appearing via video link in Melbourne, magistrates court on October the 11th, the couple pleaded not guilty to their respective charges with the defense being that uh, he thought he had won a contest from crypto.com and had told his wife as such. The funds were initially sent to Manival's, I think that's his name, Manival's bank account in May of 2021 with crypto.com compliance officer Michi Chan Fors telling the court that the issue arose from an employee based in Bulgaria entering incorrect details into an Excel spreadsheet. The crypto.com account itself belonged to Singh, but the funds went to his wife's bank account as he had been using her bank cards to purchase crypto. The firm did not realize its mistake until an audit occurred in December. How do you not see 10.1 million Australian dollars fly out? Yikes, man. Singh claims that he thought he had won had won the money as he had previously received a notification from the company regarding a competition however fours denied the existence of such competition and outlined that crypto.com did not send any notifications to tell users about competition winnings their charges slightly different as Manavel is charged with theft for withdrawing the funds from her Commonwealth bank account, negligently dealing with proceeds of crime and trying to flee the country. In March, Manavel was arrested at Melbourne Airport after it was alleged that she was trying to fly home to Malaysia with roughly 11,000 Australian dollars. She was granted bail on strict conditions in the latest hearing, having to surrender her passport and being barred from attending any points of departure. Manavel's lawyer argues that she was unaware of criminal charges being brought against her when trying to fly to Malaysia. Seeing as primarily facing theft charges for withdrawing crypto.com's funds from the bank. Moving forward, Manavel and Singh are set for a directions hearing in the country court on November the 8th. A police officer told the court the funds were allegedly used to buy four houses, vehicles, gifts for relatives, art, and some furniture, while $4 million AUD was also sent to a bank account in Malaysia. One of their four houses included a $1.35 million Australian dollar five-bedroom property in Craigburn, which the Victoria Supreme Court promptly ordered to be sold and the money returned to Crypto.com. 
As it stands, around $7 million has been paid back, with $3 million still to be accounted for. Civil action is reportedly underway to freeze properties and get the remaining funds back. This goes for anything. If, you, if, if Visa just sends you $10 million to your Chase bank account, don't spend it, okay? Yes, you need to call them and tell them they've made a mistake. Yes, they won't believe you. They won't listen. And they will not find out for six months, which means that you've got to sit on $10 million United States dollars for months and not spend it. Okay, this shit is going to start. I think this shit actually has been happening more and more, whether it's crypto.com, you know, like your bank making a mistake. The, I get the feeling more and more mistakes are going to be made. Don't spend the money. You know if it's yours or not, you know it, okay? If you go against that, don't, just don't, okay? Word, word to the wise there. Uh, stolen crypto total hits $3 billion as hackers reemerge after a quiet summer, according to Chain Analysis. Stacy Elliott from Decrypt.co. Hackers have outdone themselves with four new exploits reported on Tuesday. 718 million has now been stolen across 11 different DeFi protocols, according to blockchain analytics firm Chain Analysis. After only two weeks, that means October has become the biggest month this year for hacker exploits. That brings the running tally for the year to $3 billion across 125 different hacks, according to Chain Analysis, and puts 2022 on track to outdo the all time high of $3.2 billion for stolen crypto funds set last year. The latest hacks include $100 million stolen from Mango Markets, a Solana DeFi trading platform a $1 million exploit stolen from the bridge that connects Q and on platform, yeah, Q, oh, sorry, QAN platform to the Ethereum network, and a $2.3 million hack worth of tokens stolen from TempleDAO. An exploit was also identified in Rabi Wallet, an Ethereum wallet service on Tuesday. The full scope of the exploit has not been disclosed yet, but the project's team said on Twitter this morning that they have requested a negotiation with the hacker. It hasn't always looked like 2022 would be a big year for crypto thieves. There was a flurry of activity at the start of the year when criminals stole $1.7 billion, most of it coming from DeFi, of course, in the first five months of the year. But activity dropped off as the market reacted to the Terra USD collapse and the bankruptcy of Three Arrows Capital, Voyager Digital, and Celsius. In August, Chainalysis published an update to say that illicit activity had fallen by 15% in volume as most forms of cryptocurrency-based crime were down with the rest of the market, but the activity has picked back up in a big way. Quote, cross-chain bridges remain a major target for hackers, Chainalysis wrote on Twitter. With three bridges breached this month and nearly $600 million stolen, accounting for 82% of losses this month and 64% losses for the entire year. And Bitcoin remains unhacked. <laughs> it's just, this was all DeFi. Mango markets, we're, st we're still in the mindset of sushi swap, ladies and gentlemen. We are still in, we are still firmly planted in the food-based ecosystem that is the circus of DeFi. So just ugh, stay away from it. It's just, it's not good for you, not good for me. It's not good for anybody. Further BTC mining consolidation 
Crusoe acquires a peer mining firm, Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. Amid soaring Bitcoin mining difficulty and sinking mining profitability, Colorado-based Bitcoin miner Crusoe Energy Systems has announced the acquisition of the operating assets of portable BTC mining operator Great American Mining. Holy shit. The deal will see GAMS operations integrate into Caruso's, adding over 10 megawatts to its mining output and around 4,000 application-specific integrated circuit ASICs, as known as ASICs, crypto mining rigs, increasing Crusoe's capacity to about nine by about 9%, according to the company. GAM builds and deploys portable BTC mining facilities, vehicle trailer-mounted containers enclosed with ASIC miners with the goal of helping oil and gas companies take advantage of stranded or otherwise wasted natural gas by using it to power the facility to mine BTC. Crusoe will have roughly 125 of these gas-powered waste containers deployed and operating following the acquisition, which it says could reduce an annual CO2 equivalent emission of around $170,000 cars, or 170,000 cars. The consolidation of these two mining operations comes as the sector faces pressure from both traditional and crypto markets, along with an all-time high BTC mining difficulty, all of which is negatively affecting minor profitability, and yet still they mine. Marcus Thielen, head of research and strategy for digital asset services platform Matrixport, told Cointelegraph the majority of the mining hash rate moving to the United States over over the last two years had significant consequences on how the industry was positioned into the wider economic downturn. Quote, around 20 Bitcoin mining companies raised additional capital through IPOs, where shareholders demanded a high correlation to the underlying Bitcoin price, he said, explaining orders for new mining machines were placed one year in advance, which was expected to come online in the third quarter of 2022. Quote, the result was that mining companies bought Bitcoin directly from the market at higher cost than their mining operations and were negatively exposed to further capital expenditure investments as they placed equipment orders a year in advance, end quote. As miners waited for the equipment, some sold significant parts of their BTC reserves to recoup expenditures. But Thielen says, quote, this has not been enough. And experts uh, in, sorry, this is a very roughly written article, guys. I can't help it. But Thielen says, quote, this has not been enough, end quote, and expects an, quote, outright industry restructuring. My God, y'all. Crypto miners such as CleanSpark have already shown to be interested in snapping up cheap assets amid tough market conditions, purchasing over 1,000 ASIC mining rigs at a substantially discounted price in July, and 1,800 Antminer S19XP rigs the month prior. In September, CleanSpark went on to purchase a $33 million facility in the United States from Australian-based miner Mawson, spending an extra $9.5 million buying the firm's 6,500 ASIC mining rigs. Raising rising energy costs and the crypto bear market caused mining hosting firm Compute North to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in September, with the company owning 500 million or owing 500 million to 200 different creditors with assets worth anywhere between 100 and 500 million dollars. 
Yikes. See, and nobody's talking about, you know, the FUD of the mining death spiral. Isn't that odd? I mean, reading through this article, that does not look good. But what, two things are true, right? One, they're not going to stop mining. Some people are going to go bankrupt. And those rigs are going to be sold at dirt cheap, you know, bottom of the floor prices. And yet mining is still going to continue. And yes, the, 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 the hash rate will fall and we'll have 12 minute, 13 minute blocks maybe. And you know what happens? After about two weeks, every two weeks, the difficulty adjustment occurs and it gets us right back to 10 minute blocks. That's the beauty of the internal game theory of Bitcoin. Now, what these guys are doing, the other truth is, is that what these guys are doing, they're still in the legacy, the fiat legacy mindset. They're buying Bitcoin at high prices, selling them at low prices because they, I don't know, they thought they were going to do something fucking spectacular, but no, the market moved against them. So they were exposed. Then they were like buying, like they, all these miners were buying other miners at these exorbitant costs. They were betting the market was going to hand them a plate of caviar and it handed them a plate of nine lives cat food. If you're, if you're betting with a mind built in the fiat legacy markets, you're going to lose no matter what technology you're looking at. Bitcoin was the best and it remains the best and will be the best hope for mankind's happiness in the future than anything else I've ever seen in my entire life. And yet the people that, are, that surround themselves and call themselves Bitcoin maximalists aren't. They're fiat maximalists. Why? I can tell because all these guys got fucking hosed in the exact same way that they would have been hosed if they were buying bonds. He's, is, there's no difference. It's the mindset that needs to change. We have the change in technology. It's right here. It's called Bitcoin. You need to grasp it. And that's fine, but that's not the end of the damn story. The mindset needs to change as well. We need to stop looking at IPOs, giving a shit about consolidation. You know, buying an asset in hopes that it will go up over time to foot the bill on a short-term basis. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why we're in the situation that we find ourselves in now. I, I hate it when we do this. And we've been doing this for 10 years. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. But that is the end of the Morning Roundup. Dad says jokes. Don't throw sodium chloride at people. That's assault. That's a good one for all you chemistry buffs out there. All right. You want to support the show? Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can stream me Satoshis while I stream you these dulcet tones. And you can give me some boostograms of which I have two of today from yesterday's show. 
entitled I Smell Bullcrap, episode 629, letter 6173 with the striper boost. Maximalists are the white blood cells of the financial system. I tend to agree. Jim Leahy with 200 sats. Keep on keeping on, you rock, brother. Dude, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. If you find value in the show, uh, some shows are better than others. I mean, it's a daily news show. If you, you don't have the time to read what's going on, you know, you just want to listen to it. I hope I'm bringing you some value by giving you the news, hopefully roughly sometime during your day that you can chill out and give me an hour of your time. Uh, but if you do value that hour of me reading you what's going on in the news, then donate. Help me keep the show on track. Help me keep doing this. I like doing this for you guys. I really do. I need help. You know, Boostagrams and streaming Satoshis, honestly, number one way to go. Yes, I have a Patreon. It's Bitcoin and on Patreon or a Bitcoin and podcast on Patreon. But I rather would use Podcasting 2.0 and the value for value international lifestyle that we are all trying to develop. I implore you to use it because you'll do two things at the same time. You'll learn about value for value and the lightning network and the potential therein, and you'll help support the Bitcoin and podcast. And I appreciate it. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.